Well, let's continue to worship in Jesus together with the reading of God's Word. So, if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to join me in the book of Jeremiah. That's the book in the So, if you're with me in Jeremiah. I think the sermon insert says chapter 21, but we're going to be in chapter 22. Misprint on my part. Jeremiah chapter 22. Believe a word we need for our day. Verse 1. Thus says the Lord. Go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Verse 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion, Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. But you have eyes and heart only for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence." Let's pray together. Thus says the Lord, and may we have the grace and humility to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. A good bit of last year, uh, when Julie and I had found out that we were expecting our fifth child, we kind of teased a little bit and said, well, we've got a little more insight into why in the Old Testament, Sarah laughed, you know, when she found out she was going to have a, a baby in her advanced age. Well, I don't know about you, but I also feel a little bit like I can relate to the Old Testament scenes when they would sit in sackcloth and ashes. You know what I mean? Like, to lament, to grieve in, in, a, in a godly way. 
You know this question from the scripture, right? From where does our help come from? Anybody know the answer? Our help comes from the Lord. And it is that helper from where our help comes from that, of course, is the Lord speaking here in Jeremiah chapter 22. And I want us to see four things from uh, these verses that God says in this chapter. The first one is this. God's, God's clear about the responsibilities of those in authority, right? God's clear about the responsibilities of those in authority. You know, when, I, when I've been reading in Jeremiah chapter 22, one of the things that resounds is God knows. God knows. And he says elsewhere in the scripture, there's nothing covered up that's not going to be uncovered. And we need to know that, right? There's a tendency in our sinful heart to think nobody sees and nobody knows. Well, God does. God knows, God sees, and God cares. That's what we see in Jeremiah chapter 22. I mean, look what he says. He's, he's of course, speaking to the king. He says, go down. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Jeremiah. He's talking to the prophet. I want you to go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word. So that tells us very clearly that the king has accountability. No human being lives apart from accountability and thrives. None of us do. We all need to be accountable, of course, to the Lord, but in the church, we're accountable to one another. So he says, you're going to go down to the king and speak there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. So ultimately, he's talking to everyone, but he's talking here to the king in authority. Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence. So God never, God never, you, you remember if your Old Testament history, why did they want a king to begin with? Who was their king? God was. And then they got to a point where they said, we need a king too. And does anybody remember why they said they needed a king too? So that they could be like all the surrounding nations. Well, friends, may we see clearly from the Lord, God's desire is for his people to be distinct from all the other people. God never gives a position of authority in order for that position to be used for increased power, protection, and preservation of the person in authority, but God gives authority for the person who holds that position to do righteousness and justice. Well, we're going to stay here in Jeremiah chapter 22, but turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're talking about being distinct from all the other people, and among God's people, things aren't done the way they're done everywhere else. Here's the heartache, right? You probably all felt, felt this. The heartache is when it seems that things are done among God's people, the exact same way they're done everywhere else. But Jesus, we want to look at the words of Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, 
James and John have it on their mind. They want to be great in the kingdom, right? They want to be great. So, so they've kind of come to Jesus and said, uh, let us sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand. And, and then it's starting to cause controversy because in verse 41, when the other 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them. Who does he call? His disciples and said to them, you know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, it's heartbreaking when those who claim to be the people of God turn out to be building that kingdom the same as everyone else. But I do want us to see clearly that Jesus is not that way. One of his great uh, examples of what life in his kingdom is like is the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And and, uh, uh, a man fell among robbers and they beat beat him up. As Jesus said, they left him half dead. And then comes a priest, right? And then comes a Levite. Now, it's awful. It's awful to pass by on the other side. But it's a whole other level of wicked to be the robber clothed in a priest's garment, right? That happens in the world. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the markers is we want to be a people who don't desire to be rescued from the consequences of sin. We desire to be rescued from sin. Can I get an amen? We don't want to be rescued from the consequences of sin. We want God to rescue us from sin, sinful inclination, pride, (laughs) and a tragedy. When those who are called of God to deliver people Take his name in vain. That's one of the commandments, right? Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, when we hear that, most of us think that's something about curse words, right? And that's part of it. But the heart of that is, don't say you belong to me when you don't really belong to me. And God have mercy. Don't leverage belonging to me in order to do wrong to other people. That's Hophni and Phinehas level stuff. We're going to march out with the Ark of the Covenant and we're going to take the Philistines out when in their lives as priests, they leveraged their position for their own gain. And when they went out to the battle, do you know what happened? God said, I'm not compelled by you taking the Ark out to act on your behalf. That's not who I am. Well, the Good Samaritan, he came along And he sacrificed, right? The good Samaritan does the things that God's saying here in Jeremiah 22 to do. It was costly. It was time-consuming. It's life-changing for the man who was suffering. You remember what Jesus said? So who proved to really be a neighbor? Wasn't the one who had a name card, so to speak, or a name tag saying, I'm your neighbor. It's the one who sacrificed, paid, and helped. So let's see first from Jeremiah chapter 22. God's word is clear about 
the responsibilities of those in authority. Second, let's note here from Jeremiah 22, the vulnerable are particularly precious to God. Look in verse 3. Do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood. So the sojourner, the fatherless, the the widow, what, what do these people all have in common? They've suffered. They need shelter. They need safety. They need security. So here's how it works in the darkness of our world. Those that are most in need of those things are often the most exploited of all people. We can always discern the spiritual, I mean the real spiritual health of a nation, a church, and a person by how they treat the most vulnerable. Back in Exodus 22, God had said, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. So the hallmark of Satan is power is more important than people. He's lied, been a liar from the beginning, and one of the chief lies is power is more important than people. That's exactly how the kingdoms of the world are built. That's what Satan, you remember, he offered Jesus all the kingdoms in the world if what? Just bow down and worship. Friends, Jesus was never building a kingdom of this world. You know what he told his disciples? That's how they do it, right? That's who those who don't know me do it. That's how they, they lord it over them. But it will not be so among you. His kingdom is not of this world. Here in Jeremiah, let's see also uh, that God's not telling them simply to do no harm. He's saying do active good. See, see the, the vulnerable are particularly precious to God. Therefore, they must be particularly precious to us. Amen? James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled. Before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't you love Scripture? It's so clear that when the vulnerable aren't important to us, according to James 1.27 language, what does that mean? We've been stained by the world, and we've begun to build a kingdom just like the world's kingdom. Man, it's Memorial Day weekend, right? We know what Memorial Day is, don't we? It's important. We set aside time to remember those who sacrificially put others first. We're standing, I'm standing in your city. We're in here with one of the greatest blessings a human being can have, freedom to worship. First thing we did, we opened up this Bible. We started to read. But we know that somebody else protected that blessing for us, right? We, we know inherently, in, deep down with our conscience and deep down with our soul, that those who sacrifice to put others first are to be honored above all, right? Jesus said there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Correspondingly, and there's nothing so dark as someone who uses power 
Not to protect other people, but to exploit other people. The vulnerable are particularly precious to God. Third from the passage. I'm going to use the Bible's word here. Verse 13, chapter 22. Woe. It's a third. Woe to the one who claims to represent God, but acts contrary to God's nature. And the Lord knows, and the Lord sees. Verse 11, I don't believe we read, but so, so we see it together. For Thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah his father, and who went away from this place. He shall return here no more, but in the place where they have carried him captive, there he shall die, and he shall never see this land again. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself. Those are telling words, aren't they? I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are a king because you compete in Caesar? Uh, Caesar, well, cedar. Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness when it was well with him? He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Listen, see the word of the Lord. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. Sometimes we need help discerning who really knows the Lord, Right? who really represents God as he truly is. This is a great tragedy of those who claim to represent God, but act contrary to God's nature. That leads other people to make conclusions about God that aren't true. But it's what they've seen. It's what they've experienced. Every abuse of authority involves an authority figure who desires his or her own good at the expense of others. And there is nothing, nothing, more contrary to God's nature than that. God is clearly saying here that if you exploit, oppress, and use other people in order to build your own house, meaning your own life, you do not know him. No matter how many Bible verses you quote or Bible facts you can recite, Your knowledge of God is best discerned by how you treat the vulnerable. And all abuse is awful, but it's particularly grievous when it comes at those who, at the hands of those who claim to represent God. And, you know, in recent weeks, we've been talking about uh, this concept of the kingdom of self, right? The kingdom of autonomy, that nobody can tell me what to do and, and, uh, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm in charge of me and different ways that we've explained it. Can, can we just pause for a moment and understand where some of that, if not a lot of that, comes from? We withdraw and say, I'm not going to submit to anybody's authority because authority has been so abused. 
So you step back and say, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be under anybody's authority. Alan Noble quoted him a few times recently as I'm reading through his book, You Are Not Your Own, underscores this point. He says, for many contemporary people, you know, that's us, the phrase, I am not my own, calls to mind not so much government overreach or manipulative advertising or the unreliability of the scientific project, but traumatizing spiritual, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse at the hands of authority figures, teachers, ministers, politicians, coaches, doctors, and employees regularly get caught abusing people under their care. And so when those things happen, and they happen with the frequency that it seems they happen, we understand the withdrawal and say, uh-uh. We can probably all understand that impulse. So I, I want to turn to Philippians together so you see the character of God. Philippians chapter 2 specifically. So to repeat a sentence from a couple of minutes ago, every abuse of authority involves an authority figure who desires his or her own good at the expense of others. And we'll see here in Philippians chapter 2 that nothing's more contrary to the heart of Jesus than that. So Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." And of all the people I would least want to be at the judgment would be those who use the name of Jesus for their own gain because he's one who humbled himself, leveraged his power, not to protect himself, but to rescue us. That's the Savior we have, friends, right? So that brings me to the fourth of our four points from Jeremiah 22, that Jesus is the king we can trust. Jesus is, is the king we can trust. There's beautiful um, pointers to Jesus in Jeremiah chapter 22. We, we know all the Bible's about him ultimately, right? The Bible didn't start to be about Jesus when we got to the New Testament. He's the king promised from the get-go. So, so look in verse 4. If, they, if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots, and on horses, they and their servants and their people. You know, Jesus did ride into Jerusalem, right? Did he ride in on a chariot? He didn't ride in on a chariot, did he? Does he sit on the throne of David? Forever. But when he came, he came in humility, right? Riding in on a, on a donkey. Jesus is not like us. Praise God, right? 
The only one who truly has authority does not act like those who pretend to have authority. And and then Jeremiah 22 helps us see that God knows what's really going on and God knows what he's really going to do. Kept reading this passage in verse 13, these woes. and It says um, in verse 14, Say, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar, and painting it with vermilion. Now, I've, I've told you a number of times I'm the least handy person in the world. So I, I don't know what the cutting edge building supply, if you're going to build a house now and make it super nice, would be like. But back then, it was cedar. Heard of the cedars of Lebanon, man. You go, if you really want to build something awesome, you get these cedars. And that's what he's saying. You say, you want the best of the best cedars. It's the nicest wood that there is. And then in that same verse, verse 14, and painting it with vermilion. I read that a couple of times. And then I admitted this. I have no idea what vermilion is. Do you have any idea what vermilion is? Some of you know what vermilion is. How many of you know what vermilion is? All right. Vermilion, I had to write this down because I didn't know. In ancient times, vermilion was used to paint a king's chariot or used for the ink that the king alone would use So you would know the message was really coming from him. And and here it says, you're going to paint your upper room with vermilion. Does anybody know what color vermilion is? It's blood red. That's the color. It said it's the color of kings. But there is a reason we don't use vermilion now. Do you know what it is? It's toxic. A lot of mercury in it. You wouldn't today go and paint your literal physical house with vermilion. But there is a beautiful picture for us right here. About the king you can trust. There's a glorious foreshadowing of the cross right here, isn't there? It's not uh, neatly cut, glorious to behold cedar. It's an old, rugged cross. There's an insight here. When, When we seek to build our own kingdom, we end up coating the walls with what will kill us. You want some good news? It's not vermilion at the cross. It's red. But it's not toxic. It's the shed blood of Jesus. That's the trustworthy king. That's who I trust. He doesn't build a kingdom like like we do. What a contrast. What a contrast. You know, there's a reason God said, you don't want a king. Remember, he'd given the warning. And if you, if you get a king, they'll do more harm to you than good. And here we have in Jeremiah chapter 22. What a contrast. 
the king of Jerusalem at the time, oppressing the poor to make spacious rooms lined with cedar and painted bright red so everyone can know that's where the king lives. Contrast that with the old rugged cross splattered not with vermilion, but with the shed blood of Jesus. And and then he can't help but seeing here, verse 14, the false king says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms. Jesus sat in some upper rooms too, didn't he? Rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they said, well, let's go up to that upper room. And you remember what he did there? Washed their feet. Prayed for them. Loved them. Served them. That's the king's room, y'all. That's the real king. Jesus has not built his house with unrighteousness. And and I read here too, I, I want to praise the Lord for this. In a righteous way, here's something unrighteous done in verse 13 that Jesus, praise God, has done righteously. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness so he, and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. Well, I want to praise the Lord that he hasn't given me my wages. Because what I deserve is death. But Jesus takes what I deserve on himself. He's the one trustworthy authority who leverages his power, his position to protect and to bless, not to oppress and exploit. And then you might also remember talking about an upper room. Something else happened in the upper room. Amen? You remember? After Jesus had ascended back to the right hand of the throne of God, they were gathered in that upper room. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they turned Jerusalem and the world upside down. Friends, that's real power. And the power of God under the direction and through the leading of the Holy Spirit is always used to love and serve other people. You know, the hope that that we've got is Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. There are days that are so dark, things that we learn about, churches that our denomination that are so dark, you say, I, I, I'm, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to bail, you know, walk away. Early part of the week as I was praying, I had this thought, of course, understand that impulse, but I wanted to be so quick to say, but if you're going to, the kind of the mentality is I'm going to maybe walk, bail on the church, but not Jesus, Right? I think we all understand that's how a lot of people feel. And then I want to say, well, Jesus isn't going to walk away from his bride. So if we're going to walk with him, that'll be true of us too. And I do think that's true. But I do think we need to say something else. And it's this. 
we need to be soberly aware that Jesus, though he is not going to walk away from the church, neither will he sit in a cedar-paneled vermilion room and say, I'll stay here either. He will never sit in the upper room lined with cedar and vermilion and mistake it for the cross, the shed blood, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So how do we know if we are in his kingdom and not, as Jeremiah 17 said, the heart's deceitful, not deceiving ourselves? So I'll just briefly give you four. I believe biblical Holy Spirit affirmations of the kingdom that we want to be a part of and the kingdom that we want to build. Number one, there is a genuine fear of the Lord. Remember back here in Jeremiah chapter 2, all the way back in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse number 18, I'm sorry, verse number 19, Jeremiah 2, 19, listen to this. Your evil will chastise you, and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. A genuine fear of the Lord. We want to pray for the church. Pray that God gives us a Christ-exalting return to the genuine fear of the Lord. I know to whom I am responsible. I know that he knows. <laughs> you know, there's nothing hidden from his sight. The only hope I have is that God knows the real me, loves the real me, died for the real me, and is rescuing the real me. Genuine fear of the Lord. You also know that it's really the kingdom of God when the vulnerable are protected and helped. The vulnerable are protected and helped, not overlooked, not set aside, not an interruption. But the whole reason that uh, the church exists is to love and serve and protect the vulnerable. Third, It'd be that we could discern that our actions are in line with God's revealed character. And that it's not a kingdom that's built in the ways that the kingdoms of the world are, are built. And then fourth, as I read it, it sounds kind of generic, honestly, but may God give by his spirit <laughs> that I'm resting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says it this way. The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse is to move toward the sin and suffering and not away from it. I'm thankful, aren't you, that we've got a Bible that has Jeremiah in it. He's holy, he's just, he's righteous, he knows. But I'm thankful that we have a God who doesn't say, here's what the problem is. 
we have a God who stepped into the darkness, stepped into the suffering, went to the cross, laid down his life to save us forever. That's the kingdom that I want to be a part of in, in humility. Well, I'll close with what the Lord says here in Jeremiah 22. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. Let's stand together and we'll pray together and have a time of response. And as we do so, simply a time where we think about, here's what we've read in the scripture. And now in light of the word, how now shall we live, right? If you bow your heads with me and We're going to pray together, and then we're going to sing together. If you've got a particular burden, uh, a concern, you just say, I would love if somebody would pray for me this morning. I'm going to stand right here at the front. It'd be my joy, be my privilege to pray with you. you. You may have a concern on your heart, your mind. It's just helpful sometimes to come here to the front, to, to kneel here, and to seek the Lord. Welcome to do that. It might be that... Um, Something's on your mind of, of such a nature that it'd be better to talk about it this afternoon. I want you to always know it's my privilege as your pastor to, like, I, I want to have the heart of Jesus. It's not an interruption. We want to collectively and together turn our hearts and our minds away from cedar and vermilion to the rugged cross and the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what a grievous thing. What an unrighteous and ungodly and unholy thing to leverage a position of power. Not to help or protect or serve, but to build up a self-centered kingdom. And God, I believe we can open up the, your word and see clearly that nothing is more contrary To your heart than that. Thank you that you've responded to our sinfulness with grace. Lord, I think back to what we started the service with in John 6. He didn't run out of fish, didn't run out of loaves. There was an abundance left over. We didn't read that part, but that's 12 basketball. You've not run out of grace. You've not run out of mercy. You can transform us. You can change us. You can help us. And as you do that, your kingdom is built. Thank you, there is a trustworthy king. And we pray in his name, Jesus, amen.